Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast. How you all doing? It's another week. It's another episode. I'm your host, Stu Whiffin, and today I will be sitting down with Rob DeBank. Rob the Bank of Sunday Best, of Bestival, of Camp Bestival, of all manner of other things which we talk about in this podcast. And I went up to the the Live Nation offices in uh, in London, uh, in Argyle Street, to to chat to Rob. Um, I had met Rob before; he's DJed for for Pip and I at our event in London, and and we 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 seem to keep bumping into each other of late, which we talk about on this episode. And uh, he was. Absolutely charming and lovely and friendly and has, as you'd imagine, impeccable taste in music. So we chatted about lots of great records and and, and and Rob and I are both exactly the same age and and I guess both cut our teeth as sort of club promoters. So there was lots of kind of common ground. So it, it felt like a, a very relaxed and easy conversation to have and, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So thanks to 76 for... Um, Producing this episode, thanks ever so much to Scroobius Pip for um, doing a nice email intro to, to facilitate this one happening. Thanks, obviously, to Rob DeBank for for giving up an hour of his time to to, to chat to me. Um, and thanks to you lot for listening. Uh, I've spoke too much now, so please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with Rob DeBank. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, They've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out. 
because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat & Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we are recording. We are at the Live Nation building. And uh, I'm joined today by uh, label manager, festival owner, DJ, uh, dad, dad, and uh, washer upper. <laughs> Rob the bank. How you doing? I'm good, mate. Thank you very much for um, agreeing to do this. We've had some some back and forth with date changes and 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 time changes, but we're here and we're recording, so that's Lo- good. Lovely way to start a Monday morning of a fresh week. Yeah, talking about music. Absolutely. And what was nice was um, I'd said to Pip ages ago. Like, if I can get Rob the Bank on the podcast, that'd be good. And then we was in this building visiting Spotify and bumped into you. No, we bumped into you in ACAST, didn't yeah, we? Yeah. Just coming out yeah. of there when we was um, launching a magazine. And then literally a few days later, bumped into you again outside here. So it was we like... Can't, we can't stay apart. People start talking. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's getting jealous. But, um, but obviously you've done Pip's podcast way back really when he started it didn't you i think yeah, he was one he of the podcasting <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we- weirdly because obviously yeah you know we- i've just launched one but i mean i've been doing podcasts since um since time began you know um when bet when best of all kind of mm-hmm. started 15 years ago I-, I mean i don't know when it was but it was literally right at the beginning of podcasting and we we thought nothing of just whacking out podcasts here there and everywhere and then it kind of went quiet and then you know now i'm like God, this is the future, and I've I've had my eyes open to it. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's been this? It's to me, it seems like in the last maybe two years, there's been this big surge where all of a sudden there's big corporate companies and stuff all wanting podcasts, and there's every every kind of reality TV star or TV star all wants a podcast now as well. And like, why, why do you? Get, what's your kind of thoughts on why that might have become more than what it was? Say when you was talking about. The best of the ones back in the day. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because back then they were seen as a bit of a sort of bolt on. They weren't particularly, yeah. you know, it wasn't like the most interesting form of media. It was kind of a bit, a little bit stuffy in a way. But um, I think there's a number of reasons. I think one is that the forty somethings that I, I'm in the, that bracket, you know, we've kind of got older. We've we've done TV, we've done radio, um, you know, and you know, it's a, it's a newish media for mm-hmm. people to get involved in. So I think that's true, and a lot of artists and you know, um, broadcasters are excited about doing something a bit fresher. I know mm-hmm. podcasts have been around for a long time, but it's it's still kind of a, a new kid on the block. Um, I also think everyone spends their lives on their phones. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's no secret that people listen to podcasts on sure. commutes or, um, you know, planes or, or, or anywhere really at home, whatever. But, um, but, you know, people are tapped into technology the whole time and, and they want to hear what their sort of, um, not heroes, but they want to hear what their 
you know the people that they admire or, or that they're interested yeah. in listening to are, are sort of doing with their lives so. and you get that long form conversation that you might not get should they be a guest on Graham Norton or something like that you yeah. get your, your five minute stabs but I think on podcasts you do get that opportunity where people talk at, at length you know yeah that, that is very true yeah and it's it's punk rock as hell as well, right? It's like, you know, we've just come in, the, in, in your office here and you've, we'll talk about your podcast as this um, this podcast unfolds, but you've bought your mic and you plug it into your Mac and, and you're up and running, right? It is really nice, actually. I mean, yeah, I was on Radio 1 for 12 years and the, the sort of hoops you had to kind of jump through to do anything, like to do an outside broadcast, you know. We used to do outside broadcasts from Glastonbury. That would be like a truck, three guys, me... Um, you know, a producer, yeah. an assistant producer, and it was like, is it, do we really need all of this? And I love, you know, I love this where you, you know you turned up two minutes ago, you plugged in, bosh, let's go. Yeah. And um, you know, and anyone can do it as well. It's like it's not it's not rocket science. And you know, I think um, when you're when you're in Radio One or Radio Two, you like to pretend that it's all very um, scientific and it's hard hard to get into. Yeah. But it's not really, is it? Yeah. It's, it's just like talking <laughs> or playing music. All right, well, the purpose of having you here talking today, Rob, is to go through your selection of tracks that have soundtracked your your creative journey this far. And uh, How long have you got? <laughs> I'm going to try and keep it to the hour, mate. Um, so for track one, I always start this podcast with asking you um, what you regard as the song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah, yeah, that was a good um, good question. Obviously, Abba Dancing Queen, but no, um, yeah, I mean, that is a good intro, but no, it's um, New Order... Um, Blue Monday, Blue Monday by New Order. Nice. So, um, yeah, I mean, we should say at this point that you asked me about two weeks ago to prepare this stuff. <laughs> pro- probably give you some kind of inkling of what I was going to talk about. Yep. And, and and I opened my laptop 10 seconds ago. <laughs> I did this on the train on the way up. So, um, yeah. Yeah, in in your, in I'm going in blind, aren't I? Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm trying to, for the listener. I'm trying to give you a, give you a fighting chance that you you can't have all the facts at your fingertips about like we're yeah, good in New Order. We um, can talk about New Order till the cows come home, Rob. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, yeah, you know, a big part of my probably my te- my teens really because um, I remember my mate Tim Baker. If you're listening, Tim, thank you for. Uh, the New Order tip-off, which sounds stupid, but, you know, New Order were kind of new at the time. Yeah, obviously they evolved from Joy Division. Um, but, you know, at, the, at that time it was, um, you know, I was listening to a lot of stuff, but mostly kind of pr- probably poppier stuff. And New Order were a bit of a darker sound. And I, I know I know they're nowhere near as dark as Joy Division, mm-hmm. but, but um, New Order, you know, very kind of arty and they sort of bridged that gap between indie and kind of, dance and electronic music coming into sort of bands which sounds stupid now yeah. because it's everyone just mixes everything up yeah. you listen to years and years or Coldplay or anything mm-hmm. there's electronics in the mix but um but then it was quite a, a quite a fresh thing and this was sort of late 80s sort of early 90s and yeah new order were you know a huge part of of that you know i've got the 12 inch which you know i think is still is it still the biggest selling 12 inch of all time? Yeah. I think Famously I lost money on it as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing <laughs> artwork and packaging. Um, but yeah, incredible, incredible intro. And I'd, I'd like to pretend that I knew it was an Oberheim DMX drum machine making the making the great intro noises, which I didn't know. And but I yeah. saw it on, um, <laughs> I googled it, and uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a, an incredible bit of music. Um, it still sounds as fresh as ever, as well, doesn't it? I think like I, I still play it out. Most times, if I'm if I'm DJing in indie clubs, then it's it's always on the 
on the on the selection and it sounds it just sounds as vital as it did when it came out and and I think what you said as well about that point in music as well with with the kind of sort of synth pop and you know the, some of the biggest bands coming out of the UK then was obviously Depeche Mode, Pet Shop Boys, Erasure, lots of the stuff on you and and New Order and I think they all kind of had really good pop sensibilities but had them dark kind of undertones and and like and like New Order like the just the branding and the the, the artwork was so slick on all of them artists that I've just mentioned. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean I'm a huge huge Depeche Mode fan as well mm. and Soft Cell and all yeah all the synth pop stuff. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> I mean almost synth pop is probably pigeonholing it too much because you know New Order is still putting out amazing mm. um, records now um, as as a Depeche Mode. So I yeah I, I think um, but at that time you know in the sort of late 80s it was just so um, it was such a fresh sound, and you know, we were all watching it on top of the pops. Yeah. You know, that it wasn't like it was a niche kind of underground thing. Mm -hmm. it, it sounded niche and underground at times, but it was, it was yeah. top of the top of the pops. As yeah, well. yeah, was, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, so it was, um, it was amazing that we had these kind of homegrown, kind of chart toppers that um, that were making this pretty radical, yeah, you know, revolutionary music. So, I mean, I'd, I'd be honest that you know some of the new order stuff, I'd. I'd wasn't the biggest fan of and I obviously you know then, then then they did like the John Barnes rap and world of motion and all that and so you know I'm not a new order completist but um by any means but my friend Tim who I said about at the beginning he was like my oldest um mate from home and yeah I, I just remember you know always used to go around to his house or he'd come around to mine to sort of swap music and I'd have like the Pixies or the One Stuff or whatever and he'd have new order Jurati column um you know much more sort of uh underground yeah. stuff and and uh yeah that that was definitely a you know really vital part of my musical education because I was mm. I was listening to Peel on Radio One at the same time and so you know I was getting into half man half biscuit or much more kind of left field stuff. Yeah. Which sort of gave me a, a much wider sort of um breadth of, of musical knowledge. Yeah. You mentioned the wonder stuff just then, right? And and it's a band that like I always kind of want to mention when guests talk about indie from that kind of era and because I think they're really underrated and I think that whole indie scene of what we called the Grebo scene then like yeah, in Essex yeah. you know Ned's the stuffies and poppies and Neds and yeah, yeah. and you know Jesus Jones stuff like that and and I think that Miles Hunt is an incredible songwriter mm. lyricist and and I think as as you know, infectious radio friendly indie music. I think the Wonder Stuff wrote so much of it and they just seem to get overlooked. You know, yeah. when people look back, there's so many bands from that era that get talked about and revered really highly and never like the, the, the sort of stuff is and things like that. That scene just seems to kind of, it seems to go from the sort of Manchester 89 scene and then it just seems to cut straight to Britpop. And that bit in between there, I think there was so much really solid. English guitar music that just seems to not get spoken about. Totally, yeah, yeah. The f I mean, yeah, the first um, One Stuff album, the first um, Popley itself album, were lit. You know, I I was hitting hitting my stride just then. So they yeah. were, you know, my favourite albums of the year. You know, on on C ninety cassettes or whatever they were, just yeah. <laughs> unspooling in my mum's uh, Renault five, four um, cassette player and <laughs> <laughs> spending hours like trying to pull it back out of the. Uh, the tape machine, but yeah, I mean, it's eight legged groove machine, the, yep. um, the ones, one stuff, you know, yeah, I mean, just absolutely amazing. I, I then they did Size of a Cow, and then it was all a bit like, hmm, you sure about that? I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if that's kind of the direction, but yeah, um, I'm with you there. 
But he's, yeah, Miles Hunt's still still touring around, isn't he, and mm. stuff. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely hats off to them. Mm. Okay, well, track two, the first song that you remember hearing, Rob, that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people that do do these, um, the, well, this podcast with you, and, and maybe they actually really have very sort of rare or unknown tracks that are sort of, come in on these things mine are all going to be slightly obvious so i apologize for that in advance if these are all kind of but i'm just being completely honest no I, one has been cool okay, no one has okay, tried to good. be cool on this right, so good. far which is good, good okay. like no one's sort of had these first records they've bought and gone for some really obscure track. it's not happened yet okay so okay, uh, really, so you were all right yeah, mate. i thought maybe i was the only one that was going to be truthful but um but I'm 45, and yeah, I've got four kids, and I like to try and um, <laughs> tell, tell the truth now and again. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, talking about you know parents and kids and stuff like this was one of my dad's records. My dad, you know, um, would would hap happily admit that he's a massive sort of classical music fan and jazz and stuff. So he had a lot of records. At, well, we had a lot of records at home and a record player that was kind of in a place just high enough that the kids couldn't get hold of it near the piano. And, you know, so it was, a, it was a, quite a classical music sort of upbringing, a lot of jazz and stuff. And I was in my dad's brass band. So it, it, it was it was not rock and roll is what I'm trying to say. And he had, he had like two records that I remember that weren't, sort of jazz or handle or chopin and it, mm -hmm. it, that was um the mamas and the papas and the beatles um sergeant peppers um and it was the gatefold double vinyl um you know extravaganza of, the, of, of 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 sergeant peppers and you know beautifully um kept my dad you know very um you know looked after his stuff unlike me with my piles of mothered records at home um and i yeah i just remember it was he he, he was a um, yeah, he was a doctor, and I remember when he went out to work, me and my brother would g grab the piano stool and push it over to where the stereo was, and we'd get the lid off the record player and really carefully, because we knew Dad would go mental at us if we didn't look after yeah. it, and then we'd get Sergeant Peppers out, and we'd play it, you know, beginning to end, and just be, like, completely blown away. And I still struggle with people now who say, yeah, Beatles, whatever, you know, overrated. It's like, <clears throat> you know, you can't you can't argue with the, the quality and depth and yeah. creativity and just insane kind of futuristic power of of those records so that i mean the one off that that probably had an emotional impact was lucy in the sky with diamonds just because it was so sort of visual so kind of um you know lyrics like um uh, marshmallow pies and flowers yeah. that grow so incredibly high and newspaper taxis appearing on the shore you know for a eight-year-old kid or whatever it was it was like what is this you know it's yeah. like poetry but with music and <clears throat> and just yeah totally totally sort of blew my mind so yeah and yeah i mean there's loads of tracks on there like she's leaving home and stuff that were, were more emotional but i think lucy in the sky with diamonds is one that still sort of yeah sort of shivers down the, the back yeah. and that resonated as an eight-year-old as well yeah, I mean, I had an absolutely no idea what they were talking yeah, about. Yeah, of course. I, you know, there's an, there's like an Indian tambour on it. I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't know what that was. And even now, you know, there's that's still a futuristic kind of production that George Martin yeah. is coming out with. But I mean, you know, th there was the whole Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds LSD kind sure. of thing, and it, the record got banned on the radio, which I, you know, I obviously didn't know at the time. I didn't know what LSD was. Yeah. Not they still say it was about um, Julian Lennon um, writing a. I'm doing a that's right, yeah. little scribble on his school homework and said Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and that's where John got it from. I'm not sure we'll ever know yeah. the truth. But um 
but yeah, in, in emotionally, I, you know, the Beatles are up there, aren't they? They're, you know, they're, I'm not saying they're the best, but yeah. Back then, like listening to it was. Was she getting the visual from the, the sleeve as well? Was that something that... Because that sleeve pulls you in, doesn't it? It's like there's a lot going on there to look at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, the way they work with Peter Blake and they did the sort of embraced pop art stuff, the way they, um, <clears throat> yeah, presented everything and, you know, and later, you know, other, well, other albums like Revolver and, um, you know, the Yellow... Well, songs like the yellow submarine mm -hmm. you know one one of the most sort of trippy visual songs mm. ever like yeah. we all live in a yellow submarine i remember sort of dancing around our living room with yeah. my brother and sister to that like it's like a you know it's a nursery rhyme well that's the thing like it, I, I totally agree because i think you know hearing them songs as a kid i couldn't connect it to anything other than just the melody and it just being a fun sounding record do you know what i mean you yeah, would yeah. just jump around to it and having no idea necessarily what was going on and obviously seeing the you know, the visuals for that as well was really, really... And it just almost was comic-like, do you know what I mean? You couldn't really find any... Or I couldn't find any depth in it at, at that age, you know what I mean? Just took it on face value that it was just this really <laughs> yeah, yeah. catchy tune. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which, you know, and maybe that's why some people sort of throw away the Beatles and think it's um, <clears throat> it's not deep. But, um, yeah, I think emotionally as a... As a English kid growing up in a little village, with surrounded by strawberry fields. Yeah. You know where I where, where where I grew up. It was quite a sort of bucolic kind of um, you know villagey thing. So it, it was yeah <laughs> white middle class if you will. But um, it, so where, where was this, Rob? Where was you born? Um, in a little village. Well, I was born in Portsmouth, but it's a little village kind of close to that called Warsash, so south coast. Yeah, I mean, and there wasn't much happening. You know, like I said, I was in my dad's brass band and. I was sort of uh, like going sailing and stuff like that, so it was it was not um I, I was not a rock and roll kid with a with a safety pin through my nose. Yeah. At this age, I was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did I did progress onto wearing my sister's makeup and walking through the streets um, dressed as Robert Smith from the Cure, like having bottles thrown at me by the by the local sort of casuals and lads. So yeah. it did. Yeah, I did, I did sort of go through my more. I will get to that then. That sounds <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Well, um, before we get to track three, let's let's talk about um, your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like I say, you know, I've been doing podcasts for for a while, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I, you know, I obviously did a big stint on Radio One, and then did some sort of stuff here and there. But I've been focusing on the festivals, and then recently just wanted to kind of get back into broadcasting. And you know, I think there are there are radio opportunities out there, but I did, I did that for so long, and my life is surrounded by music, and actually. You know, and maybe I was a bit shy about about actually my voice and my interviewing techniques, but through doing all that stuff with Radio One and everything else I've done, then I've obviously met a lot of people and done a lot of chats on stage or on microphone. And um, yeah, I just felt maybe it was time to explore that a bit. And so yeah, it's called the Eight Set of Festivals with with Rob DeBank, and it's kind of going through festivals, mm -hmm. um, the festival world from UK ones to worldwide ones to green issues to, you know, punters' best memories to, you know, promoters sort of giving us a bit of backstage gossip on, on how their event comes together. You know, I think festivals are, you know, li you know, one of the big 21st century sort of mm -hmm. discoveries, if you will, you know, like the, the, yeah. for everyone, you know, everyone, go, everyone, either goes to a festival or has someone in their family that goes to a festival it's it's like the biggest sort of leisure industry sure. the biggest hobby in the uk just about so um 
yeah, I just wanted to reflect that, and I I I, I googled it or, or or searched it or whatever, and and thought oh, I'll have a look who's doing who else is doing one, and weirdly no one else seemed to be doing one. So. Right. So um, I don't know if that's totally true. I know people are doing black glasto glasto ones and stuff, but you know, not not a general view. And then I thought, hold on, I I know all of these guys, all of the and girls, you know, all the promoters. Um, you're pretty qualified to do this podcast, I think. Well, that's that's my little yeah. That's I'm hoping that uh, <laughs> you've earned your stripes there, <laughs> yeah. surely. Okay, thank you. Right, good. <laughs> I'll, I'll carry on with it then. But yeah, we're, I mean, we're only on number um, number two's coming out this week. It's quite nerve wracking because uh, I've done it pretty much all myself. So as you as you said, I bought my little microphone. I've learned how to work the software, which is essentially pressing record, <laughs> <laughs> and then how to save it as a as a WAV or an MP3, and um, I, you know I. This sounds really stupid, but I've always had someone to do that for me. In, sure. in, in Radio Land, yeah. you know, you, you you control the desk and you play the tunes and you choose the music, but you, you never do anything technical. So I'm 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 really enjoying it actually, because like you say, you can just whack it in your rucksack and super DIY. Yeah, go anywhere. And, yeah, yeah. And so it's weekly. Yeah, it's weekly. Um, I mean, I think we're going to do it in a sort of you know series of a season or whatever you will. Um, you know, maybe ten at a time. See how it goes. I mean, the the festival season is is crazy because it sort of starts in late April, early May, and goes right through till sort yeah. of end of September now, and then you've obviously got all the indoor ones as well. So yeah. it's kind of like you could just keep doing it all year round. But I I just want to see what the appetite is. The the Emily Evis um, Glastonbury one went down really really well. It's the first one I think people could see. It's more about sort of personality than any sort of big show busy headlines and announcement yeah. stuff it's it's kind of getting under the skin of the yeah. people involved so but yeah yeah we'll see how it goes it's a bit of a peek behind the curtain then yeah that's the idea yeah Excellent. i mean so i've had just done so many interviews over over my sort of festival career where it's like tell us your dream headliners you know what's the worst yeah. thing that's ever happened what's the best thing that's ever happened and actually you get sort of sick of those questions but then actually that's what people want to know and so <laughs> now i'm doing yeah. exactly those questions yeah. to other people oh fantastic um and so where can people hear it um, well, on on iTunes, mm-hmm. uh, Spotify, Acast. Acast. Yeah, Excellent. yeah. All right. Well, when obviously when this comes out, we'll we'll tag it all in and, and we'll send the links out so people Thank can very much. can check it out. Who else is is coming up? Who can people expect to hear from? Or can you say it? Are you keeping yeah, it under wraps? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we've got some um, you know some pure kind of festival behind the scenes ones with like Wilderness, um, Eden Sessions, and. Um, uh, end of the road ones like that then we've got Annie Max coming up we've got some other sort of more personality ones mm-hmm. that are, are kind of um, you know personalities talking about their favourite festivals sure I want to do this phone in one where people call in and leave messages on, messages on an answer phone to say and they're worse you know oh, I've bailed down the toilet at Glastonbury 92 <laughs> and I, I was walking around stinking of poo all weekend or yeah <laughs> You know, so so sort of give it back to the listeners because what I love about podcasts, which I've only really discovered in the last couple of months, is there don't seem to be any rules. Because yeah, I, I sort of talked to Pip a bit and I talked to some other people. I said, so what? You know, what are the rules? What do I have to do? And they're like, well, do whatever you want, really. Completely. It could be five minutes long. It could be two hours long. Yeah. You could do it daily. You could do it annually. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's quite refreshing. Nice. So, will you be taking your uh, your Mac and your mic to the festivals as well this year and, and recording at the festivals? <clears throat> well, if I get real train spotter about it, then yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about a camp festival this year, doing an actual sort of podcast studio sort of area. Oh, really? Well, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of those you know parenting um, people and the sort of Instagrammers that you know that are also 
podcasting and yeah. and coming there with their families. So yeah, it just seems daft to have all this amazing content down there and not actually yeah not actually recording it or yeah of course sharing it with the wider world. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah that's definitely the plan. Excellent. Track three, Rob. The song reminds you of your time at school. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I went to quite a sort of uh, archaic um, school in Portsmouth with lots. It seemed like the teachers were all sort of World War Two insane sort of um, pilots who yeah who'd, who'd sort of been driven mad by the war and like throwing lead weights at our heads and stuff. So yeah. it was. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really enjoy school. Is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, it was quite a stiff school. So, it was, you know, it was like rugby and brass bands and, you know, what it wasn't particularly creative. It was, you know, like uh, um, 80s, 80s kind of going into the 90s. So This is secondary school we're talking about, yeah? Yeah, yeah, secondary yeah. school. So, yeah, but the I, I remember one day when I was probably 15 walking into the playground and this guy called Dave England, and again, I'm just giving plugs out because I, I sort of have such a vivid memory of Dave. He had a very cool haircut. Was, you know one of the coolest kids in the year I was totally square like completely shy and square boy walking into the playground and somehow I was friends with Dave who was cool and he, he Walkmans had probably just about been invented and he, he kind of put these Walkman headphones on my ears and pressed play I can still remember the click of his Sony Walkman I think it was red and uh and these this sort of um, sort of steamy guitars coming out of this kind of fog and it was Stone Roses I want to be adored and you know the way it just sort of builds up at the beginning of that album um, it, as it goes into I Want to Be Adored, John Squire's guitar kind of coming through it like a sort of rainbow out of this foggy sort of Mancunian soup. Yeah. Um, and then and then Manny's sort of drums come thudding in and, you know, it's, it could probably go in your in your perfect intro or, or best intro kind yeah. of file as well because it's, you know, it's just one of the best beginnings to an album. That, when that snare drops. Yeah, yeah. It's the build up to it. It's, it's oh, it's, Wonderful. It's truly wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, the whole album, the artwork, you know, their their look. I mean, yeah, we were in Portsmouth in the in the sort of um late eighties. It was like a dockers sort of town, yeah. you know, sailors on the piss kind of mm -hmm. going around beating kids up and yeah. <laughs> sort of um it was, you know, it seemed kind of grey and very sort of you know, there was a our price on the high street and stuff where you'd buy your music, but and then basically Manchester kind of invaded Portsmouth which it must have done to a lot of cities all yeah. over the country but it was so mad because I was reading the enemy and just looking at the pictures of Ian Brown and, and Sean Ryder and just being totally in love with all these guys and thinking it was like a million miles away and then suddenly flares hit Portsmouth and sort of baggy clothes yeah. and acid t-shirts you know smiley t-shirts and and sort of beads and um yeah I was already growing my hair as long as I was allowed to grow it at school. And, uh, you know, it was just so, it was so amazing that a bit of Manchester sort yeah. of was coming to Portsmouth. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So... If you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, 
I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. We're exactly the same age, Rob. And uh, and so lots of the things you're saying are very similar to, to, to my kind of timeline of music as well. And obviously being in the in Essex in the suburbs as well, seeing Madchester happen and it obviously like you say felt miles away and it did when it sort of filtered down and then all of a sudden everybody was starting to get their hair cut like you know Ian Brown or, or, or Sean and yeah, yeah. and and the music then and then these bands started appearing on top of the pops and it was it was super exciting then do you know what I mean and it was like and it was a big intro for dance music for a lot of us as well because the stuff like even like you know I guess that was probably on the back of the you know the, the the Manchester thing was probably what opened me up to to New Order and stuff like that as well. Exactly, and obviously, yeah. you know, there was AI <laughs> Stay and all the other sort of electronic stuff that was coming out. That was you know, the Hacienda soundtrack, really. Yeah, was, yeah. Was... Yeah, and then, and then it suddenly started popping up from everywhere. You know, it had the KLF and um, you know all, all these. Di- a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Different, like, sort of um, scenes all, all around the country and... You know, Portsmouth was having you know acid raves and stuff, yeah. and and it and it was um and it felt like um sort of our music, which sounds a bit um mm-hmm. sort of uh, <laughs> greedy, but um you know it was because we you know I think fifteen, sixteen year olds that they when you hit that age and you're just sort of turning into an adult and you're kind of mm-hmm. being allowed out and you know you're sort of getting a bit more of your own personality, then whatever's happening at that time, it feels like your scene. So sure. it really felt like this these were our guys, and, yeah. You know that they, they've it seemed like they were loads older, but they weren't really. And they, you know, they were just in their sort of early teens or um, early twenties uh, or whatever. And but yeah, it, it sort of felt like our our people. And um, and that was me for the next kind of year or two on this Manchester trip. Yeah. Um, but you know, like you say, that just that just split off into so many different subgenres of stuff, and then really got into indie stuff like Power Saints and Chapter House and. You know that kind of stuff, and Radiohead were coming through, and it was yeah. so it was it was it was you know there was just so many amazing types of music, but but um, you know a lot of it did start with those opening chords of um, of I, I, I want to be a tour. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know that that is a that is a classic album. Yeah. Intros. I've never thought of it before, but Pearl by Chapter House. That's an intro, isn't it? 
That is a, an absolute <laughs> monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So you mentioned that you didn't particularly enjoy school. Uh, so was was you creative at school? But was there an opportunity to be there? Was it encouraged? If you know, if was that something? Did you know what you wanted to be then? So I've loaded you with quite a few questions there. Yeah, no, I get, um, I get the general general vibe. Um, yeah. It was quite. It was like I say. It was, it was fairly um, conservative sort of school, and there, were, there wasn't like this in amazing music department. Or I mean, I was rubbish at art. I I, I loved art so much, um, but I was I color, I'm color blind. I, I sort of the teacher would even sort of bully you for being color blind and make make out make out that you were lying about being color blind. Why were you painting the sea purple and and the sky um you know whatever color? So um. So no, it, there was there was nothing really at school that was um, that was sort of uh, enticing me at all. So I was, you know, the, the the thing that I probably started doing outside of school was um, I started throwing beach parties where we where we lived, and and so that was my suddenly I found my role as the sort of music master, like the the sort of maestro. Um, I got my first decks when I was sixteen, my record decks. I played bass guitar in this pretty terrible indie band called Mr. McHenry's Mad Cow and we did like Pixies covers and sort of Great name for a band though. <laughs> we'll come back one day. Um and um and so suddenly that was my thing. I, I you know, I I got the girls because I was like the guy bringing the sort of boom box down to the beach and playing, you know, yeah, whether it was Stone Roses or James Brown or whatever. Um and so yeah school yeah you know i met some amazing people and some of my best friends are from school but nothing nothing sort of stuck and you know the careers advice was i'll do an economics degree or something it's like what are you talking about i can barely add up Mm. like so um but yeah and so from beach parties being your first venture into promoting right so where did it kind of go from there was that something you thought i've got a taste for this obviously you're it's girls are now starting to become endeared by what you're doing and, and you're getting to kind of play the music you want to play to people and did you find that was something that you just thought right I'm going to pursue this um so yes and no I, I I yeah I probably I wasn't like promoting parties but it kind of was I used to make little flyers like little collage flyers when I was even 15 or 16 and like um you know Robbie's Beach Party or whatever this date and rare groove and acid house and stuff and so it was, it was like i was sort of looking in the nme and looking at what the flyers look like yeah. for proper clubs and doing a little version of that so i mean yeah from that age i haven't stopped putting parties on and that is essentially all that festival and camp festival and all the other yeah. things we've done is is just a giant version of that and it's got the same kind of ethos behind it which is like you could hear anything you know it's not going to be one soundtrack yeah. and you could um you can look like anything you can dress like anything you can be anyone and there's going to be a fun element, fun element to it, which is sort of exactly what I was doing when I was 16. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it sort of felt felt a natural path. But I, I wasn't thinking, oh, wow, yeah, I must get into club promotion because I didn't even know such a thing existed. And yeah. I probably didn't really know about the existence of festivals either at that point. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, it, it felt good to, you know, I, I wasn't the class clown. I wasn't a great sportsman. Um, I wasn't in- incredibly bright, you know, intelligent. So... What was I? I was kind of like the music guy, the the Pied Piper sort of party starter. Yeah. And um and yeah, that's sort of been my my thing since. Fantastic. All right. Well, I imagine from where we're on a timeline, I'm going to sort of go back again a little bit now and and ask you what the first record that you remember buying was. 
<laughs> yeah, so this is this is one where, where I was talking about not being cool earlier, and I, I for years when I was probably in my twenties and thirties and on Radio One and being interviewed, you know, about like oh, well, first record you bought, and you know, people would be oh yeah, it's the Clash or you know, Sex Pistols. It's like that is bollocks. It's yeah, like, no, it wasn't. It was like. I mean, uh, I don't know. But anyway, mine mine was actually uh, the theme tune to E.T. by John Williams. Oh, it's a beautiful record, though. <laughs> I love that. Well, in my, in my 30s slash 40s, I've come to be able to embrace the <laughs> talking, talking about it, not being, um, not trying to pretend it was something cooler. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, 1982, my mum and dad took, took us to the cinema and um, I, I still remember sitting in this Gaumont cinema in Southampton age nine and I've got a terrible memory so it must have really struck me and you know bawling my eyes out when E.T.'s kind of lying yeah. in the in the veg patch or yeah. whatever <laughs> going grey yeah um and just the music you know the music you know I, I know it's everyone knows that the power of music in films is, yeah. is important but John Williams you know a total total master of that um yeah and I think what's interesting is in the last sort of five four or five years I've st- sort of got into that music supervising world and you know we've got a we've got a company me and my manager me and my manager ben and my friend simon we we've got our own company called earworm which Mm -hmm. music supervises films and tv shows we're doing like a massive um american second series of something very famous at the moment which i'm not sure i'm allowed to talk about but um so and and we've done some things like the trust that was on the bbc and uh, american honey and andrea arnold film um, you know everything from like trap and hip hop through to classical stuff. So, you know that that is one of my main passions at the moment is yeah. is kind of being in that world. So I can now sort of directly sort of feed that loop back to listening to yeah. John Williams's stirring score for ET and be yeah. like, okay, this is maybe where the the love of kind of film and and film music came from. And yeah. But I mean that goes, you know, deep into Ennio Morricone or, you know, the the, the new composers as well. Like, it's, yeah. um, I, I I do I do love love looking at that. And even in mad feature films that aren't particularly my scene, just listening to what people are doing with music is yeah. is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I bought I bought I, I mean that, that was in the days of good old Woolworths. So I was going to say, where'd you buy it? I, I'm pretty sure yeah. it would have been Woolworths. I, I don't think I'd have been at the age of nine going into our price or, no. or HMV or yeah. Well, I mean, did HMV exist then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, of course it existed. It might not have been in Portsmouth or Southampton, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was um, Woolies. Yeah, probably like seventy nine p or ninety nine p or yeah, yeah. I think I had to settle for the record. I know I come out of the cinema wanting a BMX. Because yes. that film just totally. changed <laughs> yeah. it all. And I remember I, mean, I had a grifter and it was just, I couldn't do any stunts on this thing. It weighed an absolute ton yeah, and all my mates were doing wheels. these amazing things yeah. on these new BMXs. And I was like, oh, Dad, come on, I want a BMX. Yeah, the, the vision of um, of the, the sort of attractive mum dishing out pizza while they're playing Dungeons and Dragons on yeah. the table, you know, that was like, why is my life not like this? I was like going back to my cheese on toast and my, Absolutely. my sort of uh, normal normal life. And yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Totally ET kind of like the Goonies and stuff. It's suddenly you're in this American world that everyone, every kid in the eighties wanted to be an American completely. kid and just completely grow up in LA. Track five. I'm interested to hear this one, uh, Rob the Bank, which is the song that soundtracked your clubbing years. Have your clubbing years stopped yet? They're surely not. 
embarrassingly probably not but <laughs> I mean I've, I've pretty much stopped DJing in, in clubs you know that your typical kind of 18 year old 25 year old club because I actually think it's slightly odd people um, over the age of I don't know 40 DJing yeah. in, in clubs but I, I say that but then you know you look at Pete Tong or Laurent Garnier or and I, I'm not putting a timeline on when you should be going clubbing at all because I still, yeah. you know, I love going to a techno rave in, in Berlin or whatever. And um, it's still totally, um, you know, totally, uh, you know, something we should be doing. But, uh, yeah, personally, you know, yeah, clubbing, kind of pretty much festivals have taken over, I suppose. Yeah. And, and they have for a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, mm -hmm. I think. So So that's kind of my clubbing, uh, my clubbing uh, exploits uh at festivals now mm. um but yeah i mean you know i start when i when i moved to london then moved to south london went to goldsmiths which is where i met josie we met in the first few weeks of the first term of our <laughs> four year my four years at um at, at goldsmiths so josie's your wife yeah yeah yep. yeah who, who's still still with the old born chain 27 years later <laughs> um <laughs> but no i mean you know which changed changed a lot for me as well so i was i was like sort of playing like soul funk indie bit of dance but i wasn't like banging to um rave when i came to london but i quickly got into that so i was going to see like fabio and groove rider at rage i was going to see like the ragged twins in deptford where where we were living so when's this 92 um 91 yeah yeah 91 i was yeah 91 I, my sister drove me up to London in a in a mini metro, <laughs> dropped me off in Deptford. I got mugged about five times in the first six months at gunpoint. Mostly, I, I had to stand up in front of everyone at Goldsmiths and be shown as an example of someone that, that was being mugged a lot. And can everyone be, please be more careful? So, what well, really? Like, don't dress yeah. like this guy. Yeah, it gets mugged. totally, totally. <laughs> I was like shy, white, middle class kid just dropped into South London. You know, no street, no streetwise. Um, stuff about me at all um but that's a it, baptism of fire right there isn't it yeah yeah i mean i made mate um, i made friends with one of the crack dealers mickey who um who sort of mugged me a couple of times uh you know and uh he sort of protected me after that so weirdly it sort of <laughs> it jesus kind of, i kind of I, I kind of then started getting really into um you know club, london club land club land but not not the sort of airy fairy sort of house stuff it was it was kind of yeah, like I say, Ragged Twin, Sharp, Sharp and Dance, um, the sort of drum and bass that was coming through then, it would, you know, it was Jungle then, mm. so, and Pirate Radio, Spiral Tribe were kind of camped out the back of our um, halls of residence. It was, it was, it was amazing, you know, gumbo um, trance parties and stuff when trance was actually quite a good form of music yeah. before it sort of went commercial. So th those were all the sort of things I was listening to and the, the actual track I've chosen is Res by Underworld because, um, you know, Orbital, Underworld, Chemical Brothers, Fluke. Um, Future Sound in London. Future Sound in London. Mm. Yeah, all, all those, you know, it was it was like just an incredible time for, for dance music. Yeah, and, amazing. You know, going record shopping, you know, not doing much um, studying, <laughs> yeah. Get going, going to the record shops, buying the records, going to see your heroes at Brixton Academy or Phoenix yeah. Festival or whatever it was. You know, it was it was like, um, yeah, it was sort of the well, sort of second coming of uh, electronic music after the very early sort of Acid House, which I, yeah. I kind of I was a little bit too young for Acid House. I was I was coming to London a little bit, but I wasn't 
and 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 that was very rudimentary you know the early acid records you listen to now they're very simple and they're mm -hmm. amazing but i think when it started getting a bit more developed Definitely. like you know you look mm -hmm. at what underworld were doing it's and i, I listened to a load of it this weekend actually just because i'm having a bit of a trip down memory lane driving around the isle of Wight, and there's nothing nothing better than smashing yeah. a bit of underworld out on your yeah. stereo absolutely um and yeah th those are timeless records now mm. okay and i think again that that the, the, the bands that you mentioned there as well um they were the kind of bands and I mean, we should say as well alongside the prodigy that kind of crossed over and and it was these bands then went on to be predominantly headliners at what were traditionally guitar orientated festivals as well didn't they it was a real kind of bridging gap bands like underworld and chemical brothers and um, and fluke and and uh and yeah, the, the the prodigy as well i do think that was like the manchester thing it was starting to kind of merge scenes again and it was uh exciting yeah. right yeah yeah and and you know a lot of the records you'd buy obviously would be a faceless kind of techno record or a house record or or jungle record but but these guys were sort of superstars and yeah. you know they were touring the world they were put, selling out huge yeah. venues arenas headlining festivals so <clears throat> it was kind of like that it was yeah it was it was like um a whole renaissance of of well it was you know it was the birth of that sort of super electronic group yeah what did you what did you want from clubbing at that point rob like to go out and and, and to have a night out what was you what did you want from it Crikey, that's quite a deep question. <laughs> um, God, uh, I mean, you know, I absolutely loved and still obviously do love music. So I, I would spend all my student loans and stuff on on my decks or my or records and 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 clubs. And that was, you know, that was literally my life. And my mates and Josie, you know, we all that's what we did. You know, Friday, Saturday, clubs, you know, gig live gigs as well. Um, escapism for sure i think you know i no no disrespect to my upbringing especially not not to my parents or or you know anything like that but you know it was it and it was it was beautiful looking back but it was kind of quite you know i was out in the sticks and it wasn't that exciting and then as soon you know as soon as i hit south london it was like my god this is what i've been yeah. sort of looking for and uh grab it with both hands <laughs> yeah yeah standing on a podium in a pair of bright orange camouflage trousers raving to to fabio and groove rider with my top off like and a whistle around my neck it's, it's like sorry look rob <laughs> i really hope no one's got any photos of that but no it's it was the worst look i had this stupid little goatee beard i can barely grow a beard now i'm 45 and it was i was just such a uh yeah look like a wally but um but I didn't care. I mm. just, you know, didn't care. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about fashion. It was yeah. about like we, that. This was our scene again. You yeah. know, it was our scene, and you know, to be in in London in the <clears throat> early nineties, that was you know incredible time for yeah. for electronic music, particularly. Excellent. All right. So track six. Um, I'm going to ask you to pick uh, your favourite song from an artist from your home county. <laughs> yeah, I like this question. Hampshire, I mean, Christ, who, who comes from Hampshire? I googled it and uh, Missy Elliott was number one. I was thinking, nah, that is definitely not, uh... <laughs> you're not having that. There's no way. No, no, no. <laughs> I, think it, I, think, I think she might have been born in a Portsmouth in, in, in the States, right? So, um, I think that's why she came up. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, not, not probably the biggest county to choose from when you look at something like Manchester and uh, 
you know, that's that's not a county, but Cheshire or whatever. Yeah. And then and you think, God, there must just be hundreds. And uh, we got Craig David, we got Rex Orange County for new guys who I, who I love. You know, Joe Jackson, Howard Jones. You know, I, I love all of those. Artists. Howard Jones was from. Where was he in Hampshire? He was from. I, I don't know. Was he Winchester? No. Oh God. Southampton. No. I was a huge fan of him. Stoke. No. Oh God. Anyway, go on. Sorry. <laughs> we'll Google him in a minute and find yeah. out. But um, but yeah, the the one I actually chose and I didn't actually realise this was um Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears, mm-hmm. um, because yeah, whizzing back. So I'd I'd had my little ET fix as a sort of eight nine year old, and then and then whizzing forward to eight, 85, I was twelve, and songs from the Big Chair came out and. I wasn't a very cool twelve-year-old. I wasn't a very cool sixteen-year-old, to be honest. But I, I did. I got that, that um, tape, cassette somehow. May may even have been vinyl. I don't think so. Um, and yeah, songs from the Big Chair is still, you know, one of my favourite favourite ever albums. Um, yeah, Roland Orzabal, born in Portsmouth, weirdly, <laughs> lived in Lee Park, which is not the, not the um, most amazing place in the world, and so, somehow, you know. He, with his nice jumpers and pullovers, became one of the best um, yeah. you know, lyricists um, and vocalists. I always preferred Kurt Smith at the time because he looked much cooler. He looked cooler, didn't he, Kurt? Yeah, Kurt looked yeah. the part and he, he sort of fit into looking quite American and yeah. they were obviously huge in the States. And Roland looked a bit more awkward with his curly hair and his, his jumpers like his head. But um, When he grew his hair long, he got away with it then. He'd become cool, I think, Roland. <laughs> but when that, that big chair phase... Weren't the strongest haircut. <laughs> but, uh, you didn't ask me about haircuts. You asked me about uh, <laughs> Hampshire. But yeah, no, you're, you're right. And I, I, I think it was only later that I realised that... In fact, it wasn't until a lot later that I realised that the guy who's singing isn't necessarily the guy who wrote the music, mm-hmm. um, which sounds stupid. But, you know, it's like there's a lot of... Uh, I don't know, isn't it the drummer from Coldplay that writes all the hits? Or That's something? right, yeah. Or, you know, but, but, and you just sort of... The mind boggles still, like, why... How, you know, how did this happen? You've written this amazing song, but you've you've given it to this guy to sing, even Oasis or whatever. So um, Depeche Mode. Yeah, Depeche Mode. You know? Very true. Yeah. How can Dave go and sing that with such conviction? And Martin wrote it. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's always the the sort of start of band arguments as well, isn't mm. it? About like you know, because yeah. the, the lead singer wants to write put some of his own yeah. tracks on the album. It's like yeah. they're actually rubbish compared to mine. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think Kurt did definitely co-write some of the. The Tears for Fear stuff, but but Roland wrote wrote probably the best ones, and um, you know Head Over Heels. The, from oh, I'm so glad you said that. That opening piano is just incredible. I, I, we had Yoda DJ for us once, and he just dropped that, and it was like, why have I never played that? That intro is so amazing, and it's oh. Well, I think why we've never played it is because Yoda's Yoda, and we'll then amazingly mix it into something else. <laughs> oh God, of course. I'd play too much of it if I would leave the dance floor. <laughs> You'd mix it into like something wrong, and then uh... <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But there's the la- I think it's the last track on Big Chair. It's the instrumental called "Listen." Do you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. record. That is, like... I, I mean, the, the whole the whole oeuvre, you know, is 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 just. Um, I, I I even like sowing the seeds of love and the kind of more sort of later glitzy stuff. I, I I really love. Again, it gets overlooked, like Tears for Fears, as like. I mean, they were huge, weren't they? And they stormed America as well with Big Chair and Seeds of Love. And like, stuff like Woman in Chains was like big monster hits worldwide, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think at that time it was like U2, Simple Minds, um, 
you know, talking heads if you were a bit cooler. Yeah. Um, and and tears of fears and and <clears throat> but from our side of the pond, it was amazing to see these and Depeche Mode, obviously mm. massive, you, you know, English UK bands, are yeah. absolutely storming storming the states, which you don't really get yeah. so much now. So, um, but yeah, in, anyway, I mean, back it's just the songwriting, and it's like I don't know where where it comes from, but just you know, inc- incredible incredible records. Yeah. Okay. It's your last track, Rob. And and they played Camp Festival two or three years ago when when they sort of reunited. Yeah. Then that was one of my finest <laughs> booking moments personally, selfishly, and me and all my oldish middle-aged mates stood on uh, sat on the sat on the rail in front of the front of house bit and just you know enjoyed ninety minutes of oh, one of the brilliant. best ever sort of concerts and. You know, they're still vocally and lyrically in the band. It, you know, it's such a simple. I, I can't remember. There maybe five or six of them on stage, and they and they sounded like the records. I yeah. couldn't believe it because I'd I'd never seen them before. Yeah, and they actually do sound. Because Seeds of Love is famously like there's a lot going on on them records, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. There's a hundred or so tracks, I think, on the actual track Seeds of Love. Yeah, uh, and so to recreate that and make it happen live, that's that's talent, right? Yeah, unless it was just a. Backing and they literally finished and I hadn't I, I never hang around backstage to meet artists but I thought I have to try and say hello yeah and I and I ran I ran straight from them doing their encore to to the back of of the main stage just as Kurt Smith got into this car with sort of blacked out windows and I just tapped on the window and he just looked at me sort of startled a bit scared and I just waved and went thank you and he, he probably had no idea who I who I was or yeah. and that, that was totally cool but it was just like I just had to say, Kurt hello, Smith, Rob. say hello to one of my heroes yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. they were a huge band for me I absolutely loved them he when he left and I think Roland done the album with Break It Elemental on his own and I think Kurt had this solo career. Do you, do you know about this? Well, I, I, I'll be honest. I lost interest at that point. Yeah, I, 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 I dipped out too. And there's a, he had this solo project which he's cleverly and grimly titled "Kurt Is Mayfield," <laughs> and that's not a joke. His new band was wow. called Mayfield, and the whole tagline was "Kurt Is Mayfield." And I thought, wow, that is deep. Yeah, not very good though. <laughs> I had tickets to see them. The, the the last time I saw you was when we was launching the Pod Bible magazine. Yeah, and I had tickets to see him in Brighton that night. It was a reschedule because I think something happened to one of Roland's family or Roland was ill. His, yeah, his wife died. Certainly. And I was that? Oh God. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, on to be honest, I only saw that when I when I was um looking on the interweb today. But yeah, that so they had to pull out of the Hall & Oates tour that they were on in the States yeah. a couple of years ago when that happened. Wow. And then the, these are the rescheduled dates. So, right. Yeah, I think it's been a fairly heavy uh, experience for them to actually get back on stage. Oh, Jesus, yeah. So that rescheduled date happened to get rescheduled the day we launched the magazine. So I was all set to go. I didn't know. I got the date through and I was like, oh man, we're launching a mag tonight. So I couldn't go to Brighton and see them, and uh, and I've still never seen them, and now one of my my favourite bands. Well, uh, uh, back to one of the festivals. One absolutely, day. <laughs> mate. All right. Well, this is um this is a the last track is saying where I think obviously you will come into your own because it's about showcasing music that maybe people might not know about that you would like them to hear. <laughs> oh, God, I'm nervous now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's you know it's a good uh, it's a good um, challenge. The song that many may know may not know that you want them to hear and you know there's it's just hundreds of random 
rubbish, brilliant, excellent, you know, weird records in, in my collection. Um, and I'm not sort of shy about, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to share some of the more more wild and wacky ones. But um, but the one that I, I just chose in the end was um, Glenn Campbell, Wichita Lineman. Oh. Um, because that sort of was one of the big Sunday tunes. We had this in inverted commas Sunday. It was like Sunday tunes at Sunday Best, which was the kind of club that spawned Bestival and Camp Bestival and kind of got me onto Radio 1 probably. So, um, and yeah, that was like uh, 12 years in a in a little tea rooms on, on, a, on a South London dodgy street and uh, and it was 99p to get into and we had everyone from like Harvey to Andy Weatherall to Ashley Beadle to Groove Armada to Fatboy Slim, you know, um, David Byrne from Talking Heads used to hang out there, more Chiba. It was like a sort of who's who of cool cool DJs and um, party people coming there for a sort of Sunday wind down and it was, we sort of helped invent that whole kind of bar culture thing which was, you know, before it was just trance clubs with chill out rooms or yeah. pubs and that was kind of the choice of things mm -hmm. that you went to or big housey nights and this was like, oh right, so you can read a paper or play a board game or have a chat or you could eat something or, you know, you could read the paper or it was, you know, it's kind of relaxed but then it would always turn into this mad party and at the end of the night you know, it really it wasn't about raving. Yeah, there'd be some electronic records in there, but most people came down, most DJs came down, like Weatherall came down to play reggae sets or pop sets or stuff like that, and Harvey came to play, like, kraut rock, or, you know, they didn't really want to play what they were playing at the Ministry or, or at Shum or, you know, at yeah. Shum, what, I don't think Shum was going then, but, um, you know, what... So you're getting genuinely something quite exclusive each week as well. Yeah, which yeah. people loved. You know, Basement Jacks would come down and play yeah, Japanese pop records or something. So it's um and so and Glenn Campbell's Wichita Lineman was I think I think it was probably Ashley Beadle or it might have been Weatherall that, that brought this down and obviously a, a very famous record in in the States and, and worldwide. But you know, proper Balearic, you know, the the meaning of Balearic. So, you know, something that fitted that sort yeah. of scene and um it's really hard to listen to it now and imagine, you know, because it was a tiny club. It only fit like really 150 people, but you could fit 200, 250 if you really squeezed them in. And so as absolute maximum was a couple of hundred people sort of swaying to this at the end of the night and calling out Sunday tune, which was like the sort of um, yeah. thing of, of um, gratitude if one of the tunes was something that you all really loved. So, and, you know, just that kind of MOR AM radio sound from America, you know, the the sort of I hear you singing in the wires you know the romance of it the American nature of it um, you know it's just yeah be a beautiful kind of soul song yeah it's absolutely incredible have you have you ever heard R.E.M. play that no that's quite wonderful oh, right. but there's a version by can you remember these animal men yeah yeah and it was a it was a B-side and it's this really spacey trippy nothing like what they sounded like as a band yeah but if you can ever find it, just listen right. to it. Because Wish Tolum is one of my favourite <laughs> records of all time. But their cover of it is amazing. Uh, uh, that's a that's a great shout, that one, Rob. If, if if people have never heard that, then oh, that's a game changer, that record, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a, there are a lot of versions out there. I haven't heard either of those two, so I will immediately go and listen to those. <laughs> and someone should put, should put a compilation together of uh, great covers of yeah. Wish Tolum linemen. But... Um, yeah, I think a good good place to end because it sort of was the beginning. So uh, you know that that sort of uh, 
being able to play those records and and that sort of set the tone for you know when I had to step in for the sadly departed John Peel on Radio One you know I, I kind of understood his his ethos which you could play Napalm Death or Half Man Half Biscuit and then you could play a Ken Dodd record next yeah. to it and you know that that made total sense to me yeah. because of what we'd done at Sunday Best which was like you'd play some Debussy kind of classical music and then that goes into a hard jungle record goes, yeah. comes out of that into a beautiful folk record from Vashti Bunyan goes into something else so um just playing good records <coughs> right yeah good records one <laughs> yeah. after the next and it do doesn't have to flow and that's probably why my DJing career never took off like, <laughs> like it could have done because I, I actually just get really impatient and bored after about three yeah. records of the same genre so I was no good in a house club because I'd be like dropping in hip hop or um or, or drum and bass and yeah. stuff and luckily that sort of freestyle DJing and freestyle radio shows you know really yeah. came into being it, it became a lot less linear and much yeah. more of a sort of broad church which is lucky for me and the way that you know best of all or camp best of all are programmed you know where you can have a stevie wonder or a beastie boys next to a a craft work next to a sort of um bastille or a years and years yeah. you know it, it, you, you, you don't, you, i don't like people who are too sort of fussy and up their own backsides about it it's yeah like, we can have a bit of fun with this of course this music game as well as uh of course <laughs> as well as as well as really enjoying it all right well Thanks loads, Rob, for doing this. It's, it's much appreciated to uh, to grab a bit of your time at the moment. Um, what's happening this year then? What's coming up? Well, yeah, we've got Camp Festival in um, in July. So we've got uh, we've got the Human League, and we've got um, Jess Glynn, and we've got the um, the Whalers, and uh, yeah, big sort of uh, Annie Max headlining the Sunday night. So yeah, big sort of family family shindig there. The the podcast hopefully will will carry on as long as people want to be interviewed. Yep. Um, the record label Sunday Best, we've got that. You know that's going really strong. We've got this new band, Plastic Mermaids. They're um, from from the Isle of Wight. They're like the new sort of Flaming Lips. They're really wow. amazing. Um, yeah, check them out. Um, the Earworm Music Supervision stuff's going well. The, we've got the publishing company signing up some some new some new artists for that. And being a dad to four little boys under the age of twelve, so um, it's sort of a, never a dull moment in the yeah. bank house. <laughs> amazing. Rob, thank you so much. No, thank you. It's been an amazing uh, little trip through my musical brain. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. There you go. That was a proper good chat, that one. Uh, it's always nice to chat to people that are obsessed with music and have, have kind of devoted their life to making it, promoting it, listening to it. And and it was, yeah, it was just really nice to, to spend an hour chatting. Uh, to Rob, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, if you did, then please subscribe and go and say nice things and give us five stars and all of that malarkey. If you see us on the social medias, because we're on Insta, Twitter, Facebook and all of that, give us a like, love, a share, a retweet or whatever you want to do. And, and if there's people that you'd like to hear me chat to, message me, let me know. And if you want more content, then we do have a Patreon page where we put up a weekly show aside from the, the weekly one we put out for you lot. So if you want another show every week, then head over to patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track and, uh, and find out all about that. The links to everything, um, all the socials, all the Patreons, all the merch and everything is all at one place. And that's www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. See you next time. Bye. Oh yeah, sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to 
quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a lot of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, stew with it. 